September 21st, 1780. Benedict Arnold gives the British plans to West Point. House Democrats decide to take a wait-and-see approach. Hey there. Welcome to The Revisionists. I'm Brian Flynn. What was that? I... I have lost my mind over the last couple days. Hey! <laughs> Must be the money. I'm Zach Powers. <laughs> you guys, it's too early for the spooky ghost versions of you. Save it for next month. <laughs> right, we're too early to be the, the spectral figures that we typically are. Uh, and that voice, uh, listeners... Uh, was Shannon Cam. Uh, yeah, and I don't blame you if you didn't recognize me because my nose is extremely stuffed. <laughs> also, I uh, I meant to do kind of a ghost voice for you. I think it came out a little more Don Pardo. It's okay. My name has so many consonants. It's really good for doing a Chicago accent with, but not much for a spooky <laughs> ghost resonance. <laughs> doesn't have this ghost energy. No. Also, Don Pardo uh, is a ghost now. So, you know, that works. Okay. Jesus. R.I.P.D. <laughs> uh, starring Ryan Reynolds and whoever else was in that. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, whatever. The Big Lebowski guy. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I can't remember yeah, his name John right Turturro. now. Um, anyway, uh, this is The Revisionist, if you haven't listened before, and somehow found this without figuring out what the name of the show is. <laughs> Wait, why aren't I hearing Malcolm Gladwell? Um, uh, you, you will. Don't worry. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell's right here. Uh, he'll be talking later, just like you wanted, listeners. Um, this is a comedy history podcast in which, uh, one person tells the true account of a person or event from usually the past, um, <laughs> and another person tells a crazy alternate batshit sci-fi fantasy, whatever they want it to be, alternate version of that person or event, and at the end we vote on which becomes the true history of this brilliant... Blue, iridescent, <laughs> spinning marble that we call the Earth. <laughs> uh, That's gonna be tough to follow. I mean, it always it always is because he's always adding adjectives to it, so I never know when it's gonna wind up. Last time we did William Desmond Taylor, <laughs> authoritative. Okay, and the true history uh, took took the crown. Um, Another tale of murder and woe left unimpeded. The quote-unquote <laughs> true history revisionist has taught me that you never really know what the true history is till the people weigh in. Well, they exactly. have weighed in in this case. <laughs> <laughs> and the true history is the true history. I, I, I grow increasingly concerned that like some impressionable kid is going to be listening to this podcast. And... I, if they believe that the ultra versions of the true history, the kid is brick- Dumb. <laughs> I was just trying to make like a fake yeah. That's the kid's name. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Oh man, we're playing into so many, so many Yeesh, things. Yeesh, collar tug, collar tug. Uh, um, this week we are covering uh, Evelyn Nesbit. That's how I believe it's pronounced, based on mm -hmm. my reading of the nonfiction book American Eve by Paula. Uruburu, there's another challenging pronunciation. Um, I know that Evelyn and Evelyn are both correct pronunciations of the name. I'm going to say Evelyn because that's how I researched it. But as far as I know, Evelyn is also fine. I'm going to go with Evelyn uh, and Evelyn for her evil twin. Okay. Which actually I didn't write into the <laughs> That would be Give great. I'm like, I, I really am going to say Evelyn, though. I don't think I can stop myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Shannon has the true history of Brian is doing the alternate this week so uh yeah shannon usually has robust history so let's jump right into the meat yeah well <laughs> jump right into the jump meat right into the meat uh oh boy so last time i was on this podcast we were covering the titanic 
Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Well, you thought that you thought that shit was grim. Buckle up. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> just throw a, con- a little content warning for pedophilia yes. in the mix right here, and just rape in general. Um, so if you know of Evelyn Nesbitt, it's probably because you're a Broadway dork like me, because nowadays she's pretty much best known for being a minor character in the novel, film, and hit musical Ragtime, which is like a historical fiction novel. It's been adapted a couple times. The movie is actually Samuel L. Jackson and Jeff Daniels' film debut, both of them. Um, so that right now seems to be Evelyn's main legacy. She's usually portrayed as a vaudeville star. She's the love interest of one of the main characters who's called Younger Brother. And she's usually shown to be a very shallow party girl who kind of uses men for fame and pits them against each other. Uh, in the book, Ragtime, she actually becomes a socialist, uh, before fading into obscurity. So, if you know of Evelyn, that's probably how you know of her. Let's see how true or not true that actually is. Oh, but the alternate history is just going to be the entire uh, rag, the, the audio yeah, from the, the film Ragtime. Yeah, the novel Ragtime, rag and yeah. then the film Ragtime, yeah. and then some <laughs> songs from the musical Oh, rag man, time. that would have been so much easier if I could just been like, yeah, check out fucking Ragtime at your local library. Okay, folks, if you want to see Ragtime, just Google Ragtime, because it's so <laughs> relevant to 2019 that I guarantee you there's a theater company within a half hour of you that's producing it this yeah. year. If you want to see so- Cabaret... Uh, actually, Google Rent. It's weird. <laughs> that's, that is the best way to see Cabaret. Oh, well, it's a, anyway, it's a story about, like, uh, you know, racial tensions in America. So suffice to say, mm-hmm. it's getting a lot of play on the stage in since 2016 for reasons. Um, <laughs> but to the real Evelyn, she was born Florence Evelyn Nesbitt on December 25th in... 1884 question mark we don't really know when she was born because later on to get around child labor laws her mother would falsify her age so we're gonna say she was born around 1884 1885 but Mm -hmm. she could actually be younger than that so all ages here kind of approximate uh just like shirley good old shirley temple um, oh, really? Was that a Shirley Temple thing, too? Shirley Temple didn't know that she was actually a year younger than she thought she was till she was, like, turning 18, actually turning 17, and her parents told her. It was a secret even to her. Oh, yikes. Yeah, so yikes is very much the theme of this story. You're going to be like, does we Shannon have a very maudlin sensibility? Did she make up, like, a sick fanfic? I thought Brian was doing the alternate history this week. No, it's all real. Uh, puts like if, so, if someone came in shame. with this as the alternate history with like everything that's about to happen, yes, yeah, I, I would be like, oh no. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an easy uh, vote, I think, for the audience this week. But I'll plunge on with the real history so that people know what I'm talking about. Uh, so she was born to a lawyer dad, uh, a stay-at-home mom, and two years later, her younger brother Howard came along. He was her only sibling. When Evelyn was about 10, uh, they moved to Pittsburgh from the suburb of Pittsburgh where she was born. And her father, at only the age of 40, suddenly died. Uh, It was probably a heart attack, obviously being the time period we don't really know for sure. Uh, And he had been the person who was very encouraging of her. So in one fell swoop, Evelyn and her family lost everything. They lost their home. They lost their possessions. They were left with some debts from her father. And she also lost that source of encouragement in her life. Her mother was sort of uh, an unreliable, at times emotionally unstable person. She would fall into like these deep depressions and not really take care of Evelyn and Howard. Uh, she worked sometimes as a seamstress, but very sporadically. And then she failed at having a boarding house because she just did not have the sort of personality where she could handle something like that. So by the time Evelyn was 14, the whole family, including 12-year-old Howard, uh, were working up to 12-hour shifts at a department store in Pittsburgh. So you think retail now is grueling. You're right, but it used to be worse. (laughs) 
yeah, but at the department store, she was noticed. It's sort of like a, it makes me think of like in the 80s and 90s when people would be discovered at malls. She was right. discovered at the department store. But uh, this being like an area when fo- an era when photography was not that common, she was noticed to be an artist model. Um, so she did her first sitting. She sat for five hours and earned one dollar, which is like the equivalent of thirty dollars ish in twenty nineteen. Mm. Uh, so she immediately became really popular in the Pittsburgh art circle, but. It's Pittsburgh. I'm not sure how vast that art circle actually was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, Pittsburgh listeners, uh, we love you. We we love you. Oh so. no, I'm sure it's a tight and awesome community, but uh, Evelyn's no, mother I mean, saw that there Pittsburgh. were it's... perhaps more profitable pastures out there. So the family moved yes. to Manhattan shortly after that, and Evelyn pretty much immediately fell in with a painter named James Carroll Beckwith. Uh, who would give her, like, letters of introduction to other painters. So, basically, she sort of just, like, immediately blew up. Her mom was her manager, but her mom was not looking out for her at all. It was, like, any job that seems even semi-legit will do. And as a result, a lot of these modeling gigs involved her being partially nude. Uh, She was used in tons of advertisements. I mean, everything from, like, State Farm Insurance to Coca-Cola. She was on the cover of magazines that are still around today, including Vanity Fair, Harper's Bazaar, uh, and Cosmopolitan, as well as one of the biggest magazines of the era, Women's Home Companion. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, she may have been the first pinup girl because, like, uh, postcards of her in provocative poses were sold. See, I knew about, like, Coca-Cola and a lot of the other. I did not realize State Farm Insurance. I don't know if it was specifically State Farm, but it was some insurance company that's still around today. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, these are major, major companies. The way you said it, it made it sound like you're like, I have heard of Coca-Cola, but State (laughs) Farm Insurance. (laughs) Who is this J.K. Simmons you speak of? (laughs) What is insurance? (sighs) You mean J. Jonah Jameson, right? Just a quick pause while you explain insurance, what states are, and what farms are. That's what the podcast (laughs) listeners want to hear in my stuffier-than-usual nasal Midwestern voice. Well, listen, y'all. I am a baby who needs the words state and farm. We all went to public school. It may not be state farm. Please don't drag me on the Twitter that I don't have. (laughs) All state, probably. It's just weird to me also that an insurance company has like that sort of... Of advertising campaign. I mean, like, everything would be print, but it is impossible to explain how ubiquitous she was because we just Mm -hmm. don't really have that monoculture in the same way. Right. These days, like, she was on playing cards. She was on your toothpaste tube. She was someone that, like, everyone knew the face of even if they didn't know her name. And Mm -hmm. then it got even crazier because she modeled for Charles Dana Gibson. And if you're thinking that name sounds familiar, he's the guy who invented the Gibson girl, which is like the defining yeah, it was a fashion show icon. On the WB <laughs> about some women in New England. <laughs> Wait, is that Love Gilmore or their Gossip hair, Girl? Coffee and the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Okay. <laughs> Very different show. Very different. <laughs> I couldn't tell if you're going Gossip Girl or Gilmore Girls uh, at first. So. Uh, I'm thinking Gilmore was New England, but the yeah. other one might be too. I have not seen either of them. Uh, Gossip Girl is in New York City, which is where Evelyn is right now, and she's making about five to ten dollars a day, despite being like at this point literally one of the most famous people in the country, but totally mm-hmm. by sight, not by name. And like to explain truly how she was in everything. Obviously, this being the late 1800s, she was doing a lot of portraying people of other races as well. Like, she was frequently cast in advertisements as, like, a geisha or a Roma Mm -hmm. girl, like, stuff like that. Like, she was everywhere, uh, even in the most tasteless of situations. (laughs) Yes. Uh, today, she's governor of Virginia. Um, <laughs> and sorry. prime minister of Canada. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, to, to be fair, I think, does 5 to 
$10 a day, and that time translates to six figures now, I feel like. It's like $300 a day now. Yeah. So, yeah, she, I mean, mm. she definitely uh, is doing better than most people in her field, but at the same time, they're living in Manhattan, and it was actually very hard for the family to get by, since Evelyn mm-hmm. was pretty much completely supporting her very mentally unstable mother and her younger brother, Howard, who was still an actual child. Um, so Not she, one of these fake children you well, see Well, you nowadays. know what I mean. Like, he was, they were both <laughs> Not really just like a sack kids. of flour that they yeah. put clothes in. It's not like a, a Steve school Buscemi project. 30 Rock situation. This was a real child. Her, her brother was not Steve Buscemi with a skateboard. You know what I mean? When I say he's a kid, I don't mean he's like a college kid. He was know, right. a kid. <laughs> Okay, uh, so <laughs> then Sorry. she moved on to work as a chorus girl. This was a time when a lot of shows on Broadway were just like musical reviews, pretty much like singing and pretty girls dancing. Mm-hmm. She was in a show called Flora Dora, which is such a late 1800s name for a show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was super popular and long running, but the other chorus girls nicknamed her Flossie the Fuss, because remember her real name was Florence. Wow, they really... Got her? <laughs> well, that's what apparently spurred her to officially start going by Evelyn instead of Florence. Uh, I don't know. Maybe fuss was like a way harsher insult uh, in the yeah, 19th no, century. Ad- adjusted for inflation. It's, it's like really bad. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, she was like 14 and the other women yeah. in the show were probably older teens and women in their young 20s. So it may just have been like feeling like the older girls were ganging mm-hmm. up on her, you know, an eighth grader. <laughs> um, yes. So after that, she was in a Broadway show that had like some semblance of a plot-ish <laughs> called The Wild Rose. And she played, you guessed it, a Roma girl named Vashti. No comment. Uh, So just another example of the whitewashing going on during this time. And a New York Herald article was written about her, but it was only written about her looks. It was like, you can go to this theater and see a beautiful girl. Read all about it. This is a news story. (laughs) This is somehow news in the biggest city in the country. Yeah, they didn't talk about like the show or her performance at all. Just her face. So, uh... You're probably thinking, so far, this sounds like, you know, your classic uh, chorus girl story, and it's going to continue going on in that direction, because here's where we get to the terrible, terrible men in her life. Yes. Uh, Starting with uh, Stanford White, who is a famous architect. He's designed a lot of buildings, especially uh, in New York, and including Madison Square Garden, Remember that for later. Uh, he had Sorry. a big, dumb mustache that stuck out far on either side of his face. Google this. I cannot explain with words how stupid he looked. He really looked dumb and bad. It's not even like an old-timey mustache that like, okay, that's silly. It's just like, nah, even then, that was not justified. It's like there's an actual broom stapled to his face. <laughs> Uh, so Stanford White liked young girls. He was married and he had a family, but he kept another apartment. You can't make this up, folks. Over the toy store, FAO Schwartz, in downtown Manhattan that he used, like, exclusively for the purposes of grooming and courting and then drugging and raping these young girls. Uh, so he met Evelyn through another chorus girl who was in Floridora. He, you know, flattered her the way that any young 14, 15 year old girl would be by the attentions of an older famous man. And he invited her over to his apartment, this apartment over FAO Schwartz for lunch and champagne. And famously, he had this room with a red velvet swing. And Mm -hmm. Evelyn sat in the swing and, like, swung on it. What's the past tense of swing? Swung, I believe. She swung on it. Thank you. Swung, yeah. You guys, I had to have a lot of Theraflu just to get to this recording (laughs) session. So be gentle, please. 
Yeah, so um, later she would become known as the girl on the red velvet swing, which is just so gross. Uh, It's really just something he had to entertain the children that he had sex with. Uh, So he had not, you know, raped her yet. They just had this, like, weird, playful encounter. But then we move into what is classic grooming territory. He started showering the whole family with presents and money. He moved them into a hotel that he had, like, designed and decorated the interior of. Um, And he just really groomed her mother and her younger brother by kind of inserting himself as, like, this almost quasi-father figure. And then he had her back over uh, to pose i guess he wasn't an artist but he did like do some amateur photography that was probably like the pretense that he had her mm-hmm. over under and he brought her into this mirrored room this seriously sounds like something from a dario argento movie uh <laughs> i'm not trying to be flippant like those are horror movies no, and this is a yeah. horrifying situation it's and i mean it's i mean the details of it are like so many of the details are like so alien and in like insane on their own. That yeah. It's, yeah. Um, so some of the details I'm going into, I feel like in any other situation, I would just leave them out. But mm-hmm. what you need to understand is that as sick as it is, this is what Evelyn was famous for. She was like a sex symbol and these specific sexual encounters became the topic of a lot of discussion and press and were a big part of her story. Uh, Okay, so he brought her into this mirrored room, he drugged her champagne, and he raped her. Um, And after that, they had a continuing affair, which isn't really surprising. A lot of victims, you know especially after being groomed like that, continue Mm -hmm. uh, to stay in that kind of contact with their abusers. Uh, But he continued to have many other sexual encounters with other young girls, which he kept track of in a little black book, uh, which Evelyn didn't like. Uh, I don't know if she didn't like it for the right reasons, but she did not like that. So she continued to see other men. She had an affair with John Barrymore, the John Barrymore from the famous acting family. When he was 21 and she was about 15, Uh, they were briefly engaged, but they were broken up by her mom and Stanford, who conspired together and basically had her sent away to a boarding school in the country um, until Barrymore backed off. And then she met Harry Thaw. Oh, Harry Thaw. Yeah. Uh, oh boy. He is like a Listeners, you might notice villain. by our noises that things are about to get worse. Yeah, you're like, oh no, it, she's already in the clutches of this serial pedophile who's like, and I'm not saying this to be funny, the Cosby of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, anyway, she meets Harry Thaw. Harry Thaw went to 40 performances of her Broadway show, The Wild Rose. And that was how they met. He was the scion of a huge coal and oil fortune. His father was dead, so the money was in the control of him and his mother. And him and his mother had a very close, very codependent, very toxic relationship. She completely controlled him for the most part. Um, A weird thing about Harry Thaw is that he already hated Stanford White for reasons that had nothing to do with Evelyn. He thought that White had, like, started a whisper campaign against him, and White was basically like, I don't know her. (laughs) So he had, like, this obsession with him that was basically completely unfounded. This feels like the the inspiration for the novel Lolita at this point. It does have a lot of parallels to Lolita and some other works that uh, I will name drop at the end. Uh, so Thaw courted her with a fake name because he thought if he said he who was who he was, she'd know about his fortune. But then he told her who he was. She, he told her who he was, and she was like, eh, "Okay," like <laughs> she wasn't really that impressed one way or the other. Uh, so then there's a little question mark in Evelyn's history. Around this time, in the middle of her courtship with Harry Thaw, she went to Europe for some kind of surgery. 
and this being the time period that it is, and her affair with John Barrymore being what it was, not to mention the fact that she was probably still having sexual encounters with Stanford White during this time. Modern scholars think it was probably an abortion, but there's mm-hmm. no way to know. Um, Thaw followed her to Paris, where she was staying with her mother, and then took her to London with him, leaving her mom behind. Uh, and during this time, while they were traveling through France, Thaw pressured Evelyn into confessing about what happened with Stanford White. So she admitted to him that she had been raped by White and that he was the one who took her virginity. They went to Joan of Arc's birthplace in Doremi, France, and Harry Thaw wrote in the guest book of Joan of Arc, she would not have been a virgin if she'd met Stanford White. Yeah. Yeah. So that is Harry thought for you. Uh, he takes Evelyn to a Baroque castle in Austria where all the servants stay in one wing and Evelyn and Harry stay in the other. And at this point, he seems to have some kind of a psychotic break and he brutalizes her, including sexually assaulting her for a two week period in this medieval castle, which is like, yeah, uh, beyond the beyonds. He may have been on drugs as well. There was rumors that he was into like morphine and really heavy duty shit. Uh, And after the two weeks when he, you know, quote unquote, got it out of his system, his personality totally changed and he went back to being like the loving, doting, quote-unquote, gentle guy that he was before. So, uh, yeah, Uh, they return to New York, and Evelyn marries him because the way she saw it, no one else was going to marry her because of what Stanford White had done. Uh, You know, it was a time when if you weren't a virgin, it was a bad thing, so Mm -hmm. they got married. Uh. In order to get the approval of his controlling mother, Evelyn had to promise that she would never talk about her formal life, former life, modeling or acting or anything like that. Almost immediately after they returned to New York, Thaw started getting super paranoid. I think he was just very mentally ill, maybe even schizophrenic, because he thought that he was being stalked by Stanford White and like an army of spies, but he was not. So at this point, he starts carrying a gun with him at all times. Um, in 1906, again, this is not long after Harry and Evelyn got married, uh, they decided to go to the premiere of this musical called Mamselle Champagne. There's another great turn of the century <laughs> musical name oh for you. God. I forgot that that was coming and it's so incongruous with everything yep. that has immediately preceded it. Well, it's actually kind of creepy considering that her champagne being drugged was what started all of oh, this. Yeah. Yeah, that's... There's a lot of weird things that come full circle in this, which Mm -hmm. will only continue on. Um, So the musical is premiering on the roof of Madison Square Garden. They had dinner at a cafe around the corner beforehand where they saw Stanford White just by chance, totally by accident, they bumped into him. Um, And Harry Thaw was wearing this big black overcoat over his tuxedo that he refused to take off the whole night. So at 11 p.m. towards the end of the musical, White shows up at Stanford, uh, at Stanford, White shows up at Madison Square Garden (laughs) just to like drink. He had a standing table there since he designed the place and Thaw walks right up to him and fires three shots into the back of his head, killing him in front of everyone. You know, this is an assembled crowd of a lot of famous and well-to-do people, um, And he yelled either, you ruined my life or you ruined my wife. There's like an equal amount of counts on both sides. Mm -hmm. Either way, a horrible thing to say. Uh, But, you know, White was no angel. So it's hard to feel that broken up about him getting murdered. (laughs) No, but it's like, also, if anyone was going to do it, it really, it had to be him. I, of all people. I guess. I mean, to the end of his yeah. days, Stanford White was like that Kiki Palmer meme. Sorry to this man. I don't know him. <laughs> 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 
perfect. When he did refer to him, he called him the Pittsburgh pug because of Thaw having a kind of droopy face. Uh, <laughs> so there was immediately ensuing chaos. Obviously, people are screaming and freaking out. Evelyn was in a state of complete shock, and she kept asking Harry, what have you done? And he said, I just saved your life. Because he really believed in his mentally ill state that Stanford White was, like, hunting them down to kill them. He's just going through the crowd, waving the gun he just used for the murder over his head. He's not hiding this at all. And in the chaos, Evelyn was able to get to the elevator and escape as the police were coming in to arrest Thaw. So the press coverage was as ubiquitous as Evelyn's face had been on magazines and in advertisements. They called it the crime of the century. It was 1906, and as the musical ragtime jokes, there were 94 years to go. Uh, (laughs) It was like front page news. Any tiny detail of the crime, anyone who was remotely connected uh, got covered. Women reporters, kind of like uh, for again, for the musical theater nerds out there, the ones who would cover the women of Chicago, the Mary Murderesses, yes. women reporters were really sympathetic to Evelyn, but they were also very sympathetic to Thaw. They kind of put it out as a story of like he, you know, Stanford White attacked Evelyn, and Thaw was just a white knight who was avenging her honor. So it's like a weird mix of progressiveness and extremely not progressiveness. And this was, of course, before any of the uh, details of what Thaw had done had come out. Yeah, too. no one knew that he was a rapist. They just knew he was her husband. Although he definitely had a reputation for being like a weird drug addled motherfucker who was a huge mama's boy. Yeah. Uh, also, um, <laughs> anyway, um, I'm trying to think of like a comparison because like Evelyn would have been like one of the most famous women in the country, for sure. I would say so, it's like if K-Fed murdered Justin Timberlake at the height of Britney's fame. <laughs> okay, so a few years ago. A few. Oh, you want, like, the Today equivalent? Well, no, I, w- I was trying to think of that, but I think that's perfect, honestly. <laughs> if I do not. I, for- I, I, I forgot about K-Fed. Kevin Federline. That's a name <laughs> you haven't heard in a while, have you, America? I actually just heard of him again the other day in, like, a news story. I can't remember what it was. Uh, yeah, he's like a cockroach. There's no way it's that easy <laughs> to get rid of him. Oh, shit. Our new sponsor, Kevin Federline. Um, and his whatever. I couldn't think of a company. Guys, it's late. His anyway. His rags? I don't know. <laughs> his do rags. Um, yeah. Obviously, a lot of the press coverage was about how, like, Evelyn's beauty drove men mad. It was like a magnetic, supernatural power. Mm-hmm. Uh, or about how um, Harry Thaw had recently played the Joker. And- <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't sleeping. Uh, uh-huh. Teddy Roosevelt got really fired up about the press coverage. Didn't like the amount of press coverage it was getting uh, during a time when there was a lot of turmoil surrounding workers' rights in America. Which, you know... Fair complaint, I guess. Yeah. Uh, But it's hard not to feel incredibly sad for Evelyn during this time. Mm -hmm. She was completely abandoned by her mother because Thaw's defense team was basically trying to construct a case against her mother, saying that she had prostituted her daughter. Uh, And her own little brother, Howard, had been so groomed by Stanford White that he blamed Evelyn for Stanford's death and was very upset at her for that. So... Really tough stuff. Uh, Thomas Edison is another famous figure who got in on this mess. He was working on creating some of the earliest films. And one of the first ones that he created, which he apparently was so eager to make that he rushed into production, was called Rooftop Murder. (laughs) Exclamation point. So naturally, the crime of the century was followed by the trial of the century, Mama Thaw, as Harry called her, was very anti the insanity defense, which obviously should be the defense. But the Thaws were so rich, they spent $500,000 in 1907 money on their defense team. They really thought that they were going to be vindicated by this trial. It wasn't just that they thought Harry had done nothing wrong. They didn't understand why he wasn't, like, a hero being celebrated by the entirety of the American public. 
Yeah. Uh, Evelyn had to take the stand. She had to discuss her rape by White at both trials, which was incredibly grueling for her. Uh, the first trial was deadlocked. And this, during the second trial, they tried the insanity defense, and he finally was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, but then he just escaped to Canada. I don't even know if you call it an escape. A fancy car pulled up to the asylum where he was staying, and he walked right out and got in, drove over the border. <laughs> then he almost immediately returned, and when he returned and was apprehended, he was examined, declared sane, and released. <laughs> So, I don't understand what, what happened the fuck? there, especially yeah. with there being so much focus on the trial and the case and every witness, everything. I do not understand how that happened. I think it was just their wealth. It's like the honestly the yeah. only explanation. Um, well, it's the only time I can think of like someone escaping from custody and then returning in like a very short window of time and then being like, it's cool, like, yeah, like we'll he, call it even. He fled to Canada in 1913 and returned to the States and was declared sane by 1915. So mm -hmm. it truly doesn't make sense. But anyway, during that time when he was briefly imprisoned, uh, Evelyn got pregnant. She says it was by a conjugal visit with Thaw, but... Again, that's another aspect of her life that's somewhat disputed. She always held that Harry was her son's father, but she may just have been trying to save him from being labeled a bastard. Uh, her son, Russell Thaw, appeared in films with her because right after the trial, she had like a brief short film career where she basically was just playing herself. Uh, so her son would appear with her in those uh, and he grew up to be a World War II hero. He was one of, like, the most notable pilots uh, of the Americans in World War II. Um, hmm. So after this brief film career that Evelyn had, it really, it just didn't work out because she was still only known for this horrible crime and this these crimes perpetuated against her. And that was all people wanted to see her as. Uh, she had a brief vaudeville career dragging up through, like, the early 1950s. Uh, but it was, again, like, more of a curiosity, like, coming out to see this woman who had been the subject of speculation a long time ago. Uh, mm -hmm. And in 1955, she consulted on a very fictionalized movie made about her life called The Girl on the Red Velvet Swing, which definitely romanticized Thaw and made it seem like, oh, he was, like, her savior and protector. And she died in obscurity in California in a nursing home in 1967 at the age of around 82, but we'll never really know. But uh, she did stay in contact with her son for her whole life. Um, to this day, she's still sexualized. Uh, if you search for her on Etsy, you can find topless photos of her for sale. And she had to be like 13 or 14 when those were taken. There are also really oh. a lot of popular photos of her reenacting the night of her rape. She's wearing a kimono and laying on a bearskin rug, which is, according to her, what happened in the mirror room. Um, and I found articles from 2018 that referred to her as a sex goddess. So, you know, it's interesting. I think she's never really gotten her due in the mainstream. Obviously, there have been a lot of books that have reevaluated her. But, yeah, to this day, she's still uh, a sex symbol. The character Gillian on Boardwalk Empire was loosely based on her. And I read in some places, I'm not sure how true this is, that uh, the author of Anne of Green Gables saw a specific picture of her that she used as her, like, basis for the description of the adult Anne in the Anne of Green Gables series. Uh, so, yeah, her legacy is around... Mostly through the Gibson Girl and the musical Ragtime and maybe even through Anne of Green Gables, but uh, her true story is little known. Yeah, um, it's just, it's one of those things that comes up um, every so often on the show where it's like, oh man, this happened in the early 1900s. I'm glad we're living in such a different time. And then you realize, oh no, not yeah. at totally. all, really. Yeah. 
Well, Everyone's uh, going to want the alternate history this week. Let's just yeah. put it that way. I think Evelyn, Evelyn, however you want to call her, deserves an alternate history that isn't quite so horrible. Uh, yeah. The, um, <laughs> thank you for the real history, Shannon. Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. And I believe that brings us to <laughs> Brian. Uh, changing the tone. <laughs> Um, yeah, I can't remember if this was on air on the last episode that I said this, uh, or if it was just after, um, but I had said that whatever my next alternate history was, I was planning to make it a Gremlins 2 thing, (laughs) um, and I decided this wasn't the one to go with. Um, Every time an artist paints her, another version of her comes to life. (laughs) I, uh, that's uh, I'm trying to think version. that seems like stranger than fiction meets multiplicity to me oh weird funny you mentioned stranger than fiction because that's part of anyway <laughs> um I went in a bit of a different direction um as we've mentioned before with certain topics alternates are very hard to write especially coming especially as a writer in every position of privilege i this is set um yeah i mean after the even it's an alternate it's the most alternate alternate generally speaking still glad to be done with the civil war from the history of black (laughs) american segment where every time you got the alternate history it was like great (laughs) super and we got the alternate history Every time. Every time. <laughs> except Why for Janae. Oh, yeah, except for Janae. <sighs> so, um, and this is also um, the first alternate history I've done uh, with just sort of a bare outline that I'm going to mostly improv. Um, so, uh, one day, this is long after the, the dust of the trial has settled and uh, Evelyn, Evelyn has resumed a uh, quieter life um she awoke uh, after troubling dreams as she as she rises from her bed uh she hears uh, a voice uh like booming from all around the room and uh it's sort of narrating her actions uh like the aforementioned stranger than fiction <laughs> um which actually I've never seen, so who the who oh, knows it's so how? Oh, good. I, that's what I keep hearing. I just like never got around to it. Um. So the voice says is narrating her actions, uh, and it's saying like verbatim, uh, "One day, Evelyn Nesbit awoke after troubling dreams," but it's saying it in a very um a, a thick uh, German accent. Wait, so, are you saying this podcast and specifically your alternate history is stranger than thingsing Evelyn Nesbitt through time? Uh, stranger than thingsing? Stranger, stranger than fiction. Stranger than thingsing. Then a demogorgon yeah. appears. Ah, you've got my boy Russell. Bring him back. Ah. <laughs> oh, man. Will Ferrell in Stranger Things would be intolerable. Um, I guess he would have to play like the Brett Gelman role. Yeah. I uh, I could see him a little bit in the um Sean Ast not the Sean Aston, the um uh one of the one of the scientists. Um Oh uh, yeah, Paul Reiser. Oh Paul Reiser, thank you. Um But uh <laughs> Stranger Than Things is also the working <laughs> title for Stranger Than Fiction. Um I like that, Stranger Than Things. <laughs> um But uh the voice of the narrator uh is it has a heavy German accent. Uh, so it'd be like, one day Evelyn Nesbitt awoke after troubling dreams. Um, you know, th- shit like that. Um, I, that's, I can't, German accents, that's like the best I can do, um, y'all. Um, so she's obviously 
confused at first. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know if she's uh, dreaming. Uh, she's uh, hallucinating. Uh, but the voice continues narrating. Evelyn went to prepare breakfast. It's very Werner Herzog. Um, I mean, he's German, so... <laughs> it fits. Think of another famous German. Yeah, um, well, there's some. <laughs> who you would like to be narrating narrating your life. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, she's getting increasingly more uh, alarmed as this voice goes on, and then the voice says... Uh, sort of skips ahead and says, uh, little did Evelyn know, uh, the next day she would, uh, wake up turned into a, a giant cockroach. Um, it's the transformation. This must be better for her. The Kafka. Well, or the trial. I'm going for, I'm going for the Kafka esque aspect of everything she had to go through. Um, so, and she's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, like we all would, if yeah, we, we would say, uh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and you know, at that point, it's basically the plot of the Metamorphosis, um, the which one. I that's the one. Because um, there's another Kafka that goes into in a minute. Um, so she's she's struggling with this, obviously, um, and the. Um, but overnight, she hears the voice saying, I, "I don't. This this one really isn't. This avenue really isn't going anywhere. I'm going to look up a different Kafka story." Um, don't make it the Hunger Artist, please. I can only take so much depression in one night. <laughs> I mean, it's Kafka, so it's not going to be like. <laughs> um, so, uh, Evelyn uh, wakes up the next morning to find uh, two uh, anonymous policemen from an anonymous agency. Uh, saying, uh, you know, you're under arrest, report to the court uh, on this day without specifying a room, without specifying a time. For the trial of the Century 2, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) I so would like to see, uh, like, a Kafka trying to write, like, a dance, uh, like a community-centered-themed dance dance movie or story um so you know she shows up she she finds the bill she doesn't know what's going on she finds all these people have uh turned against her and she has no recourse no matter what she does um the system and the public and people's views of her are so outside the bounds of like her reality and like what is true um that you know i gotta say i have much more i have a lot of respect for people who improv alternate histories (laughs) Um, because i i don't want to end i was like i don't want to end it like the story the trial actually ends um and but now i'm like trying to find a graceful way out of it i'm trying to remember how stranger than fiction ends either because i definitely looked it up it's still more graceful than my alternate history which would have been kick to the dick kick to the <laughs> dick kick to the dick oh yeah no there okay no she's so she's in the courtroom uh and the judge is about to pass sentence and she is just like you know what it's time to get rowdy and so she <laughs> runs she rushes the judge's bench and yeah uh delivers a straight leg kick uh <laughs> right into his penis um the judge kind of goes ooh, ooh and crosses his eyes uh and falls over uh <laughs> and then she it sort of becomes like like a whole like whirling dervish uh thing where she's like going around the room just sort of blindly uh kicking kicking dudes in the dicks um and she she says uh, a famous quote, which was later uh, used by um, used in a film. Um, I I came here to chew gum and kick people in the penis, um, <laughs> and I'm all out of I'm all out of gum. Uh, and so twelve died, uh, and she escaped. 
Uh, why was that like so much more facile for me to come up with than like something relating to like literature? Because that's what we all wanted to see happen for her. Yes. A little bit of justice or vindication or pushing back these horrible men who took advantage of her every day of her life. Like, my first instinct was, like, oh, like, try to capture something of, like, the, the just, like, the, not just, like, the, the awful thing she was put through by White and, and Thaw, but just, like, the whole, like, media legal system machinery, and then I'm just like, oh, no, that's sad, I want to, I want, and then you, you, ha- you threw in the, the dick kicking, um, and that was just, like, the catalyst that I think the story needed. Just imagine uh, so, how sick the Red Velvet Swing would be if instead of that leading to a terrible sexual encounter, she just kicked him in the chest when she swung forward <laughs> on that swing. <laughs> <laughs> then walk down Raid FAO Schwartz, baby. You're 14 <laughs> fucking years old. <laughs> yeah, then it turns into fucking big yeah, for some she reason. She dances on a giant piano. <laughs> Yeah, that she walks out the door, hops on her motorcycle, and rides away. (laughs) Oh, man. Now I feel good. (laughs) Uh, So that's the the alternate history, y'all. Look, (laughs) it's been a week also. I'll just say that. (laughs) So, uh, listeners, before we we move on, uh, I just want to say you can always uh, leave us a comment or ask us a question. Write us a letter at revisionistpodcast.com. We have a few letters in the mailbag we've been meaning to get to with a mini-episode, and we will at some point soon, I promise. Um, It's a busy time for everyone. Yes, it is. Um, uh, You can also find us on all the social media platforms, I think, uh, all the ones I know about. uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. uh, Just search Revisionist Podcast. Anything that, uh, if it's something people who are no longer in the key demographic for, like, a television viewership knows about, it's yes. one of those. If it's younger than that, no, we are not. We are not on it. Uh, we do not have a TikTok. Uh, that's the only one I could think of. Vine? Zanga. We don't have a Zanga. Vine does not exist anymore. Okay, cool. Just checking. That's how out of date you are. Your reference for the cool kids platform is defunct. R.I.P.D. <laughs> uh, we have no live journal or angel fire page. That is true. Uh, in our defense. <laughs> our AOL IM screen name is... No Geosities uh, blog. <laughs> Geosities. <laughs> I heard a podcast where they had like, one person was pronouncing it Geocities and one the other person was pronouncing it Geosities. But it's yes. gotta be Geocities, It is Geocities. Right? But ever Geo-Cities, since I heard that yes. podcast, I always prefer to call it Geosities. Geosities. Four years younger than Zach, so just sometimes it's just a tiny age gap. But sometimes oh, no. I, there are a few little things that, that I'm like, maybe in, I don't know. That that is an intentional mistake. Oh, okay. That I heard uh, somebody on a podcast make, and I very much enjoyed. Yes, um, that podcast. I believe Zach is wearing a shirt for it right now. Uh, no, it was off book. In fact. Oh, okay. The Improvised Musical Podcast. Listen to it. We're in no way affiliated with them. We just like them. <laughs> um, My shirt is for the Flophouse, which you can also listen to. It's a good show. Yes. Um, so, um, Shannon, you have a big project. Oh, boy. Coming I do. up. I do. I do. do you feel like you want to tell people about it, or do we want to leave it mysterious? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, so... I have been in the process of writing, producing, and acting in a scripted audio drama version of Little Women that is going to come out about a month from now. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash littlewomenpodcast, you can see updates there, see the cast, which includes Zach. Um, and you can also uh, see all our other social media pages there. And once the podcast actually starts airing... Um, Unlike this show, it's geared towards tweens and older kids. So there's Mm -hmm. going to be a nonfiction historical element with some 
non-scripted bonus episodes, but I won't be cursing up a blue streak like I am on this fine program. So <laughs> yeah, if you have a young person in your life who might be interested in that, or you just want to I mean, brush are, up To on... be fair, going to be a lot of episodes where Louisa May Alcott kicks somebody in the dick. <sighs> mm-hmm. You mean Joe kicks someone in the dick, you peasant. <laughs> she, Louisa May Alcott wrote the book. It's the, it's the non-fiction episode. Oh, okay. I got confused. I'm not doing alternate history in those non-fiction episodes. They're non-fiction. She could have kicked somebody in the dick. The records are spotty. Probably Ralph, <laughs> probably Ralph Waldo Emerson or Henry David Thoreau. Those would have been her prime targets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not I mean, kidding. Both of them, both of them deserve a thorough dick kicking. I mean, she uh. verbally dick kicked Thoreau by making fun of his neck beard in life. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, Perfect. if you, like I said, if you have a young person who might be interested, or if you yourself would like to brush up on the story of Little Women in a fun way before the Greta Gerwig film comes out this Christmas, check it out. Facebook.com slash Little Women Podcast. Perfect. Um, and also, this podcast totally geared towards tweens, right? This um, podcast kicks in the dick, y'all. <laughs> That's got to be it. I got to put that on a sticker. That'd be a uh, good uh, review. Go ahead and toss that in your review. This, this week. podcast fucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history. It kicked you in the dick. Um <laughs> Um, as, as for me, listeners, um, if you're, if you're real quick on the draw, uh, you could head out to, uh, Tandem Bar tonight to see Know Your Shit, uh, comedy TED Talks, uh, hosted by me. Uh, the theme for this one is villains. What, uh, describe what today is in reference to tonight. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, September 21st, 2019. Okay. Uh, Zach AD. should do a villain TED talk about Scar. He's a big Scar lover. Yeah. I'm, yeah, classic <laughs> Scar lover. <There's, laughs> the evil lion. There's no more villain. I could do an, an old Hans Gruber's one of my favorites. I just like British sort of wilting villains. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do recall now uh, <laughs> seeing uh, one of you post something on Facebook about a debate regarding Scar and the hyenas, I believe. It, it's been going morning. on for years at this point. It's an ongoing... It's well-trod territory. Yeah, we don't need we to can't get into it on air. The podcast will be five hours long. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, but if you're... If, uh, if you can't make Know Your Shit... Uh, you can also check out my latest article for Westward at westward.com, uh, which is my first like full-length uh, cover story for them. Uh, if you're interested in history, there's a lot about the history of the Japanese community along the West Coast and in Denver specifically. Uh, so check that out, Westward. Just search Brian Flynn or Sakura Square. Um, but, Zach, uh, you are... You're the judge for this episode. Uh, obviously, the real one was very depressing. Uh, the <laughs> yeah. second one started yeah. out like Brian had had a signed reading over the summer, and he was like, "Now I have to give my book report about it." Um, I have I've been packing to move, so yeah, it's been kind of like that. Um, and then uh, and then it kind of became a collaborative thing, which yeah. presents me with a loophole. If I pick the alternate, even though it does not undo the horrific events of the original storyline, um, uh, both people kind of win because it truly was a collaborative, collaboratively created alternate history. So, in the interests of mutual victories uh, after the story of this woman who never won ever, yeah, um, Jesus, let's uh, let's eke two wins out of the sad story of of. Of uh, Evelyn Nesbitt and cho- go with the alternate. Uh, well, listeners, if you uh, if you want to come out against this show of unity, uh, you could do that by voting on Patreon uh, or on Instagram. But then go the watch the musical Ragtime to educate yeah. yourself about unity. Yeah, you know what? Before you cast your vote, uh, watch <laughs> Ragtime, and then you know you got to really think about it. And go ahead and read uh, Nana Green Gables, too, just yeah. in case. <laughs> just cover all yeah. your bases and then watch, like, what are there, six seasons of Boardwalk Empire? You need to make sure you have a fully balanced and fair view. 
Are there really six seasons of Boardwalk Empire? Shit. Oh, okay. I don't know. I did not. Something like that. I, I did not either. watch that many seasons of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, I got two or three in, and then. Uh, and in defense of yet again, in defense of Evelyn, I do not believe that Evelyn and Russell thought ever had a relationship like Gillian and Jimmy on that show. Oh, enough no. said. <laughs> enough said. True believers. Um, it's still got Stevie Boosh in it, so I'm. I might check it out someday. It's a fine program. Uh, it's got Stevie Bush. It's got Michael K. Williams. There's worse things to watch. All right. Um, well, uh, I think that'll do it for this episode. Shannon, thank you for joining us, uh, despite being sick. Oh, yeah. I, I'm i really passionate about this subject, I have to say. Mm. Uh, I'm going to... I mentioned it before, but I'm going to mention the name of the book I read one more time. Yes. It's American Eve by Paula... Don't let me butcher this name. Uruburu. U-R-U-B-U-R-U. I did my best, folks. It's like Uruburos without the S, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yet, uh, check out that book. Uh, it's on my library hold list, honestly. Um, but, uh, Shannon, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Always a Zach. pleasure. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> Started sorry. awkwardly and ended awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> That's my energy, baby. Um, Are we done? Oh, no. We have to do the Zach, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You, you forgot <laughs> my name. Leave that in. Thing. Leave that in. <laughs> you forgot my name or look. how to say thank you to me or something. <laughs> this episode, I am like going, this episode's going to have minimal editing. So. <laughs> I don't know this man. Sorry to him. <laughs> I've been, I've been Brian Flynn or whatever. Yeah, uh, I've been Zach Powers. Uh, hey, I've been Zach Powers. <laughs> I did not sound drunk. <laughs> uh, have a good time